2: Or Welcome back to the only true democracy in talk radio. Thank God it's Friday. I'm very thankful for our guests. that will be joining us in just a moment. I just wanted to take a second to say uh, that a former ambassador to Ireland for the United States, Pittsburgh Steelers owner at 84 years of age, Dan Rooney, passed away yesterday. I was lucky enough to have met this very, very nice, kind, giving, generous man when he invited me. Uh, as a liberal, along with a conservative talk show host, to debate um, at the U.S. Embassy in Dublin, Ireland. It was my first time I went to Dublin. He and his wife were such gracious hosts. He was kind. The staff loved him. Uh, Former NFL uh, Pittsburgh Steelers and current uh, talk so highly of him. And something I learned about him today was that when he acquired the Pittsburgh Steelers, the team was so white that he demanded that not only players But everyone involved in the organization um, interview minorities for these positions. In other words, he wanted to see diversity on the team and in the offices um, of the Pittsburgh Steelers. 84 years of age, a man who did a great deal. He raised a lot of money and helped to get President Barack Obama elected, most certainly. Um, And uh, the people of Ireland loved him. The people of uh, Pittsburgh loved him, and I thought he was a wonderful man. My condolences go out to the Rooney family. I posted online a picture of he uh, and, and I and his lovely wife when I was in Dublin a few years ago. Um, and once again, just my condolences. He had a great life, and he did a lot with that life and with the uh, money that he worked so hard to earn. In this hour, Colonel Cedric Layton, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite guests, another very kind man and human being, very much alive, thankfully, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates, a strategic risk and leadership consultancy serving global companies and organizations. Now, he founded the company about seven years ago, but prior to that, he was in the U.S. Air Force for 26 years as an intelligence officer. He attained the rank of colonel. He can be seen regularly on CNN, where he's a military analyst, and we love to have him with us. Colonel, good afternoon. Happy Friday. Thank Thank you for taking the time. I know how busy you are.
3: Oh, absolutely, Leslie. It's my pleasure. And good Friday to you as well.
2: Thank, thank you. Yes, yes. Happy Good Friday. Um, there's there's so much to talk about um, with uh, regard to military. And you are a military analyst In your background, you certainly are an expert in this area. Um, I want to talk about uh, the mother of all bombs. I want to talk about the, the chemical attack and our response. I want to talk about North Korea. But before that, let's even go back to January. Shortly after Donald Trump uh, got into office on January 29th, there was a raid in Yemen, which he caused called a success. A Navy SEAL died. The family is suing the government over that death. A young American girl died whose father allegedly was a terrorist or related to a terrorist organization. Um, when we just look from, from January until now, before we go into specifics, um, is this a bomb-dropping, war-mongering type of president in your, from your experience, Colonel, with uh, presidents that we have dealt with in most recent day past?
3: Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, I, I go back uh, thinking about what it was like in the '60s. Uh, you know, when uh, we dealt with Vietnam and uh, and all those issues surrounding that. I I think the times are different now. I I'm not quite sure that we could uh, say that yet. But what is certainly true. About the Trump administration is that uh, he is very quick to uh, at least deploy forces into various areas. And when you look at, uh, you know, the idea of going into Yemen, uh, you know, with that that uh, SEAL uh, raid, uh, where the SEAL, as you said, lost his life, that um, you know, it may have very well been a, a poorly executed mission. However, I think there was. Some issues, perhaps, with the intelligence related to that. Uh, when you look at uh, all of the things that uh, you know, where, where U.S. troops are right now, it, um, it certainly has garnered a lot of headlines. Where uh, where things are, and you see, uh, you know, forces moving in places uh, where we're not necessarily used to seeing them, or at least the reassertion of uh, of U.S. forces in certain areas. So it it becomes. Uh, I think at best a difficult uh, thing to categorize right now because one of the key issues that I have to deal with is, uh, you know, what is the strategy for all of this? And right now, I don't see a coherent strategy behind the moves that we're dealing with. It's possible that one could evolve. And these are, you know, potential elements of a actually a very good strategy. But uh, it seems that they are more reactive than uh, proactive in terms of how how they are actually, uh, you know, put together how the forces are deployed and, uh, you know, all, all the actions that are taken here, that, uh, that is one thing that, uh, uh, you know, where this could uh, definitely run us into some difficulty.
2: I, I want to go back and, and, you know, let, let's go chronologically in order and, and start with um, our bombing of, um, of Syria, which uh, polls show majority of Americans supported, even mm-hmm. um, some left and right in Congress supported But, you know, Colonel, I'm not a fan. I'm a liberal Democrat, and even that aside, I am not a fan of this president. Uh, Not only did I not vote for him, I know many Republicans uh, that didn't. Um, I don't trust him, and more so I don't trust his motives. I might be on that grassy knoll thinking every time there's a bomb drop, there's a diversion, because it seems like the Trump-Russia thing becomes less of a conspiracy um, the more information that comes out. That aside, when President Obama said that the, the president of Syria, Bashar al-Assad, was using chemical weapons. Uh, Republicans originally balked at that. A lot of mm-hmm. critics of President Obama balked at that. After President Trump was elected, in February of this year, Syria had a massive chemical weapon attack, perhaps even worse than the one that we responded to. And then, of course, the video uh, came out. Uh, Colonel mm-hmm. Donald Trump is the commander-in-chief. The military has to listen to what he tells them to do, and he obviously has many military advisors and doesn't seem like a guy, you know, who who uh, takes much advice, even from people who certainly know more than he does, uh, such as those, uh, you know, top brass in the military and in the Pentagon. Um, but when, when we see those videos, look, I'm a mother, you know, I, I know you have family, we're human beings, it, it's just horrific, but barrel bombs, bullets cause just as much, if not worse, damage. So what, I I mean, I want your response to our response to that video, because, you know, Assad's been using chemical weapons on his, his uh, citizens, you know, human beings for years, and barrel bombs, and bullets, Mm -hmm. not to mention ISIS. And, and I just have to say one more thing, it just, it kills me that people, and this country are crying over children being washed down after Syri- chemical weapons, but they don't want to allow them entry into the United States and want to keep a Syrian refugee ban intact that the president had put forth. Um, your thoughts on our response to the uh, Syrian uh, chemical gas attack?
3: Well, I think that you know what, what we're looking at here is uh, you know clearly a, a president's visceral reaction to uh, what happened, uh, and I think that. Uh, you know, from a human being standpoint, uh, it's very clear that uh, that kind of action cannot stand in terms of the the Syrian government gassing their own people, you know, using sarin gas to go after them. Uh, That is uh, not only immoral, it is also against the rules of war. Now, what you also said is is very true here, is and that is the fact that yes, barrel bombs are used, uh, you know, in a, on a very frequent basis, uh, and in some cases, you know, some uh, in some uh, parts of of Syria, they're used on an extremely frequent basis, where they actually uh, are decimating uh, tens of thousands of people, and they are very bad. Some barrel bombs do have chemical agents associated with them, uh, many do not, but. But nonetheless, uh, they are inhumane forms of warfare, and to use them on a civilian population is also a violation of the rules of war and a violation of the uh, type of conduct that we expect nation states to engage in. And that's the you know the, we being the greater world community. But the. Um, the problem that you have is enforcing uh, any type of uh, action against uh, you know these uh, these kinds of acts. Uh, so it some it becomes from a policymaker's standpoint, and it's a, this is not a judgment on right or wrong. It is just uh, you know simply a fact that what we're dealing with here is a really uh, difficult problem set because the violations by the Syrian government are so many and so frequent uh, that they become uh, you know. You you become almost immune to it, and that's that is something that uh, is is also very dangerous. But what you see is a situation where, uh, yes, barrel bombs are being used, but uh, but the chemical weapon attack uh, that that got the president's attention uh, that was one in which the. The type of weapon used. uh, It became very easy for uh, the president to basically react in the way that he did, uh, because the rules of war prohibit those uh, those types of weapons, and uh, it was so profound. And there was, of course, video associated with it. So I think, in some ways, we're reacting to things because the image is there. Uh, That is not necessarily anything new, uh, but what it is is we're dealing with uh, a president who deals in images. And uh, if you want to get something done, uh, you know, you want to uh, have something happen in, in a certain way, you want to take that image and, and show it to him, in essence. And that, that is basically what uh, what seems to have happened in this case. Uh, the problem that you have, though, is a, how do you pivot and also prevent the other heinous acts from occurring? And that is a profound difficulty uh, that the administration has, unless you develop a strategy, unless you decide that all of these things uh, have to be stopped in one way or the other, and uh, that ultimately would involve uh, changing uh, who rules Syria. And that, of course, is, uh, is a very, very difficult endeavor, particularly because uh, the main patron of Syria, the main patron of Bashar al-Assad, is, of course, Vladimir Putin and the, and the Russian government.
2: We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more um, about uh, Syria and whether Trump, um, uh, you know, and, and even, you know, Russia likely knew of the Syrian gas attack in advance. Certainly Russia, a lot of evidence points to that, although, of course, Russia denies it. We'll be back with Colonel Layton. You can follow him on Twitter at Cedric Leighton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, and the website is com check it out we'll be back with him military analyst for cnn u.s air force vet of 26 years was an intelligence officer and obviously he is a colonel we'll be back with him and talking more about all the military might and bomb dropping in this presidency since he took the office of commander in chief
1: life liberty and the pursuit of truth the leslie marshall show Give her a call now at 888-6LESLIE.
2: Associate's Military Analyst at CNN and a veteran of the U.S. Air Force for 26 years as an intelligence officer. Colonel Leighton, thank you for holding. Uh, Welcome back. I have many questions to ask, um, but also uh, let's uh, take uh, some more phone calls. And I want to start with Randy on line three in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, Randy is also a a soldier, a former special ops soldier. Randy, thank you for joining us. Question or comment for our guest, Colonel Leighton?
1: Uh, Actually, I have a a, a statement that I'd like to make. Um, Thank you for taking my call, Leslie, and happy Easter Friday to you. Um, I I have some news that's not being reported, and I'm sure the general can back me on this, is that right now um, the 75th Ranger Regiment, which is the tip of the spear in the United States military, is deployed and is on the ground in northern Syria right now as we speak. That is... That is more important than any Syrian airstrike with our Tomahawk missiles or Moab missile or what have you. That means when everybody starts questioning Donald Trump and says, what's his strategy? What's his strategy? What's his strategy? Well, guess what? Nobody's reporting on the 75th Ranger Regiment out of Fort Benning, Georgia, being in on the ground in northern Syria. And, and I would like to say from my prior service what 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 I would like to get out to your listeners is, and and I'm sure the colonel will back me on this as well, is that when I signed up to do what I did in the military, I would I would I would die for you, I would die for any Democrat, any Republican on the the planet, and that's what we do. That's why we sign up to do what we do is because we, there are certain amount of people out there that are true warriors and true Americans. That would do anything to defend this country, and I can guarantee you, if you went and asked any one of those 75th Ranger Regiment Rangers on the ground right now, do you want to be there or do you not want to be there, every single one of them would tell you, we want to be here. So the significance of that and in, in those Rangers being in northern Syria indicates to me, from my little knowledge of what I did in the military, indicates to me that something big
3: is getting ready to happen.
2: Um, oh, thank you for your comment, Colonel. Please, your response.
3: Sure, uh, Leslie and Randy. Uh, you know, thank you first of all, uh, you know, for serving not only uh, in the Army but also with the 75th Ranger Regiment. Uh, they are an awesome bunch of people, and they've done uh, some significant uh, work. They are, you know, one of America's uh, finest combat units, and uh, that is, uh, you know, beyond question. So, any deployments that. Um, that go on are, are clearly indications of uh, you know, some things that could happen, uh, but they don't necessarily mean that everything is going to happen. That uh, you know that we that we believe just based on the fact that uh, that certain units are there. But the 75th Ranger Regiment, uh, you know, if it is there, and uh, I, I won't confirm or or deny anything just because of the sensitivity of some of these missions. Uh, but uh, the, if if they are indeed there, they they will have a set series of missions. Uh, and what they will do is they will go in and uh, they will work with uh, local forces. They will work with uh, people that are coming in from allied and coalition nations, Uh, and they will take care of a mission that uh, will be a very difficult one. But when they do it, their type of work ethic, the way in which they they exercise that mission, uh, you know, it's absolutely true what Randy said. These are the most dedicated people that you can possibly imagine, and uh, they do want to do what they do, uh, and they don't see it as uh, you know going in there and taking over places. They go, in, they go in there uh, with the idea of helping. Uh, Fix a problem, helping people, helping uh, the situation, and helping to further the goals of U.S. policy. So that is really what all deployed forces will be doing in in Syria. What they are doing right now in Iraq, uh, and of course in Afghanistan. So these kinds of, of movements are going to be movements that will hopefully result in a a better uh, position for the United States, and it will also hopefully help in getting rid of uh, somebody like Assad. and may not be a direct regime change. It may be something completely different. And it's not that these forces will actually do that, uh, but they will set the conditions for other things to happen. And that's almost as important as direct uh, force-on-force combat operations.
2: Um, Okay. Uh, I I wanted to ask about this as well. Colonel, if you were to go to Vegas, do you think that as it's being—oh, we're going to take a break. We are 30 seconds in. When we come back, we'll talk more about Syria. We're also going to talk— about the mother of all bombs, Moab, and we're going to talk about North Korea. It just seems more and more uh, that we have – do we have more threats, really? Or is the president just putting a spotlight on them? We'll be back with our guest, Colonel Cedric and You can follow him on Twitter, at Cedric Leighton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. And the website is com, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, once again. Back with him. Back with you and your calls at 8886-LESLIE-888-653-7543 right after this. Colonel Cedric Layton. Follow him on Twitter at Cedric Layton, the website CedricLayton.com. Uh, Colonel, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Um, if if you, in your professional opinion, how likely is it that Russia knew of the Syrian gas attack in advance?
3: If on a scale of one to 100, I would say 95 percent chance that they knew.
2: Wow. Um, and uh, the, in and why, then, is Russia backing Assad and is the United States acting like Russia is our ally when we're clearly not allies of such uh, actions and type of actions on, on one's, uh, you know, citizens, and not only citizens, just uh, human beings?
3: Absolutely. Well, uh the uh, I think the administration is beginning to change its tune on Russia. You know, and of course, that's not the only thing they're changing their tune on, but uh, we'll, we'll take Russia first here. But, but uh, yeah, the idea that the Russians have is that they need Syria as a base, and the reason they believe Syria is a good base for them is, first of all, a, a bit of history. They've been there for a while uh, since the 1970s, and they've got a naval base that they recently reestablished uh, right on the Mediterranean, the eastern shore of the Mediterranean, and that gives them a capability to at least have a toehold in the Middle East, and that also gives them a connection to uh, the various uh Groups that the Syrians are involved in—that includes Hezbollah, that includes, of course, the Iranians, it includes other guerrilla groups that are active, uh, some of which want to overthrow some Arab regimes that are friendly to us. Uh, so the the whole idea of Syria is basically a, a playground, uh, to some extent, for the Russians and for their uh, desire to have a power presence in the Middle East to pressure Israel, uh, to pressure the conservative Arab states. Like Saudi Arabia, and it uh, really is designed uh, for them to maintain influence in that region. That's why they they, they're there. And what they're afraid of is that if Assad goes, uh, they believe that there is no one there who can be uh, like him, who can be the the kind of friend that he has been uh, to the Russians that will give them the same amount of access and the same amount of influence. So that's why the lines are drawn, and it's very very unlikely. That um, the Russians will actually cast Assad aside,
2: and even President Trump said it's certainly possible. I think it's probably unlikely um, that they would that Syria would have done this without Russia's knowledge, right?
3: It is possible. Uh, it is absolutely possible. The reason I gave it such a high percentage is because of the proximity of the Russian advisors and other military personnel to the chemical weapons that were at uh, Shayrat Air Base, which is the airbase that we hit with the Tomahawk missiles. Uh, and uh, there is every reason to believe that uh, the Syrian military got a lot of its chemical weapons training from two sources. One, Russia, and the second one uh, would possibly be Iran uh, but that's uh, that's basically how they operate they uh, have uh, chemical weapons stockpiles so they declared some of them and uh, got rid of some of them uh, but not all of them and the ones that they did not get rid of uh, the sarin gas that was used uh, in the, on the attack on the civilians that is the kind of thing that that um, and they uh, the type of uh, chemical weapon that they will use in their arsenals. And that's really the most dangerous thing for Syrian civilians of whatever uh, grouping, ethnic grouping they are.
2: The president has made a stark reversal on NATO. He said, quote, I said it was obsolete. Quote, it's no longer obsolete. Now, obviously, uh, NATO's forces have been fighting alongside our forces, the United States forces in Afghanistan for more than a decade now. Um, uh, before we start to talk about Afghanistan, uh, uh, do you th- do you think a this is you know a wise statement and change of course for the president to make, and b could it just be that he now realizes after you know months of being you know educated and briefed perhaps on on what NATO and NATO forces truly do?
3: Well, I think some of us are hoping that he's been educated and, and briefed on how, what NATO does and how important NATO is. You know, what it sounds like to me, Leslie, is what he's done. As He's taken the frustrations of people who have worked in or with NATO forces uh, and you know anybody who has even uh, set foot in NATO headquarters in, in Brussels uh, or near Brussels. Uh, they basically uh, say, uh, you know, this is an incredible bureaucracy. It is uh, really tough to get anything done. This is not like you're working with our units at home. And that's true. But you're meshing uh, 28, seem to be 29 different cultures. And you're working with a whole series of of different, uh, different military structures, and the most important thing is that it has maintained the peace since the Second World War in Europe, uh, with the exception, of course, of uh, what happened in, in Bosnia and in the former Yugoslavia. But uh, that aside, generally NATO has maintained the peace, and it has been a very, very important part of uh, you know, our uh, alliance structure, and it has also been a very important part of creating a stable Europe, which has definitely been in our national interest.
2: Uh, no question. Let's uh, move to Afghanistan. Mother of all bombs were dropped on the ISIS caves in Afghanistan. Colonel, is it true that these Moabs, mother of all bombs, um, are more useful in uh, a- you know areas that have uh, caves as opposed to choices of other weaponry? In other words, would this have been your weapon and method of choice in this kind of a mission?
3: Yes, if I had been told to uh, do the targeting for this particular kind of mission or to conduct an operation uh, that would uh, uh, destroy uh, that particular area, yes, this would have been the weapon of choice. Uh, It would have... Been Well, what it does is it's basically uh, the one weapon that we have that can really go through a series of natural structures like caves. It can also take care of tunnels and uh, some of the other uh, pieces of infrastructure that ISIS had there. They they can obviously be used in urban areas, but what that would do is it would uh, kill a lot of civilians. Uh, So the employment of this weapon uh, was also set for an area where civilian casualties would be kept to a minimum, and so far what we've been told is that there have been no civilian casualties. Uh, So, yeah, this was a wise weapon to use. The problem with uh, going into an area like that is that it is extremely difficult, and if uh, ground infantry units or ranger regiment uh, units or anybody associated with special operations were to go in there, it would have been a very difficult mission to take Care of there would have been a lot of hand-to-hand combat potentially, and it would have uh, really uh, potentially resulted in, but much more likely, let's put it this way, much more likely to result in American deaths. So you know, on balance, it uh, you know was was the weapon of choice that uh, they had, and General Nicholson, who was the commander of U.S. forces in Afghanistan, uh, basically chose that weapon because he felt that this this would be the uh, the right uh, the right uh, kind of weapon system to use uh, and uh, prosecute to that part of the war for him.
2: I want to go back to Syria for a second. You've been on the show many times, and many times you have said it, it, it's, it's you know, defeating ISIS isn't the, more, the most difficult task. That can be done, right? That can be done, you know, perhaps in a couple of days. Um, you also <laughs> talked about uh, not just how this is done, but by whom. And the reason I want to go back to Syria, because obviously the largest concentration of ISIS, uh, as we know, is in Syria first, uh, then in Iraq and you know perhaps Afghanistan and some other areas, um, uh, such as you know, Yemen and, and spread throughout the world. But in Syria, where they pretty much have taken over almost a third of the country, and you have so many people fleeing, whether it's from Assad and his use of barrel bombing guns and chemical warfare, uh, the sarin gas, or whether you have ISIS and um, what they're doing uh, and enforcing uh, by fear and uh, to these uh, populations, just just disgusting. When we look at what happened with our response to that video, as you said, that visceral response in Syria, does that... I mean, the president loves to say this was successful, and I support and commend our military 100%. But were we successful? Will this stop the use of the chemical weapons, A? B, are the people any safer? Less than 24 hours after the bombing, in which we didn't take out the airstrip, there were flights that left off from that very airstrip that bombed a hospital where people were being treated uh, for being victims of this uh, chemical warfare, of the sarin gas. And in, in, in addition to that, I, ISIS is still there. You know, ISIS still has the, the, the power that they do. And, you know, so I'm just wondering, was it successful and how effective uh, was it?
3: It was more to send a message, and so it had, uh, there there are differences in effects. So there are the operational effects that, uh, you know, where you say, okay, we uh, destroyed so and so many airplanes, we uh, destroyed so and so many hangars, and, uh, you know, maybe a runway or two. In this case, of course, it did not destroy a runway, uh, as you alluded to, and uh, so what we're dealing with here is, uh, you know, the tactical operational effects, which on the surface look Pretty good uh, from a, an American standpoint, and then there's the reality of everything. Uh, you know, what will people do to work around what you have just done to them? And it's very clear that the Syrians are uh, quite ingenious at uh, going or getting around some of the things that uh, we we did to them at uh, the Shayrat air base. And so what that means is, uh, no, this is, uh, you know, if you do this just once, uh, you are not going to have the desired effect of limiting their flights, of preventing people suffering, and of also uh, preventing the use of chemical weapons against them. The one thing that would do that is to completely destroy their chemical weapons stockpiles, and they didn't do that because they were afraid that uh, those chemicals would be released into the atmosphere and affect neighboring civilian populations. Uh, so it was a success in terms of what they were allowed to do and what they thought was prudent to do. Um, it still remains to be seen if This will have a larger operational effect and operational success because it did not really complete the mission. And, yes, you're going to see the Syrians flying, and you'll probably see the Syrians uh, using more chemical weapons. Uh, And uh, even if they do not, they will still use barrel bombs, the barrel bombs we talked about earlier, and uh, inflict great harm and great uh, suffering on, on the civilian population there.
2: Looking back in the prior administration, President Obama had put a red line down. I and others, um, you know, across the board, were critical that he didn't, you know, put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. Um, should we have taken or should President Obama have taken such an action uh, during his administration? I mean, conservatives, certainly Donald Trump is critical, you know, saying, hey, look, you know, we're taking action now. You know, uh, Assad's not going to do this again. And I agree with you, Colonel, that, you know, if, if 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 you have that mindset, if you're a murderer and a madman, which he clearly is, and so is Putin, arguably, um, that, you know, a threat isn't going to stop them. And, and they're all narcissists. You know, I, I think Trump, Assad and uh, Putin— And, um, you know, you have all these alpha males and narcissists. uh, They don't they don't react uh, kindly uh, to threats necessarily. But do you feel that the criticism of the prior administration is warranted that President Obama maybe should have, um, you know, done something like this to uh, warn Assad?
3: I do. And the reason I I think that, Leslie, is that uh, it it could have uh, been conducted at a much earlier stage in the Syrian conflict. Um, There was a tremendous attack near Damascus, actually. Uh, A few years ago, uh, that was a chemical attack and that actually was even more uh, profound in the amount of suffering and the amount of deaths that it caused. Uh, So these types of situations, uh, you know, once you get into uh, looking at how uh, various governments behave toward their people, I, it becomes very clear that uh, you, if you're going to get involved, you need to get involved at a stage where you can still have an effect, where you can still actually stop uh, the carnage as early as possible. The problem with that is by the time you often recognize that that carnage is taking place, it's often too late. You're already Different parties are embroiled in in their conflict, and you're already uh, basically uh, behind the eight ball when it comes to to preventing this kind of thing. At least in many instances, that's the case. Uh, so yeah, I do I do think the Obama administration uh, could have done more. I think that the uh, the failure to actually uh, Work the red line in such a way that it was meaningful from a military standpoint. Uh, That was also significant. I know that, uh, you know, I think President Obama was trying very hard to uh, keep us out of another ground war, and that was the main specter that haunted him. And something we really don't want to be involved in is dragging a military into something like that, uh, a la Iraq after uh, you know the uh, the 2003 invasion. That Something that should be avoided at all costs because it just drains the military so much and puts it into a, uh, a status uh, a quo type, uh, a very belligerent status quo with, you know, with the people that they're that they're engaged with. That uh, there is no real hope out of that until and unless uh, there's some kind of a break in that, such as the Iraqi surge or, uh, you know, some other things that could happen on the diplomatic front in different scenarios. So, yeah, it becomes very important uh, to act quickly when uh, even the hint of uh, human rights abuses on this scale uh, is is uh, shown there. It doesn't mean that you're the world's policeman, but it means you energize others to help you uh, be uh, the, the multinational police force, that goes in and, and actually uh, you know takes care of things like that and it, uh, it's difficult because the UN uh, of course is composed of members that have members of the Security Council that have veto power and uh, some of those like Russia especially are going to protect Syria at every at every turn and they won't allow this kind of stuff unless you have another organization that can take care of those kinds of things.
2: Uh, Before we take a break, um, regarding the mother of all bombs, uh, bombing of Afghanistan, a weapon that you said you would have chosen for this type, the caves, um, I guess we could say it is successful in the sense that there were no casualties, uh, you know, uh, civilian casualties, 36, allegedly 36 ISIS members dead, approximately 200 plus there, Afghanistan, wouldn't this weaponry or money or energy have been used better in places like Syria or Iraq, where there are thousands of ISIS members uh, as opposed to Afghanistan? And is 36 a successful mission for that use of weaponry when you're using the mother? Yeah, you you use the mother of all bombs. Some people want to see the mother of all uh, casualty stats, you know, with ISIS heads.
3: Sure, absolutely, and, and it's a totally understandable reaction because uh, those figures, of course, you know, we're we're a bit early after the the actual strike, so these figures could change. But let's assume for a moment that they don't, and uh, I would say that 36 is definitely a very low figure. I, uh, of course, it depends on exactly who these people are. If it's a leadership structure, if it's uh, you know somebody that is uh, you know has either complete control or a large degree of control over the ISIS fighters in Afghanistan, then that is also by in and of itself would also be a successful mission. But having said that, yeah, the statistics you know that are out there right now show that it is uh, you know a lot of buck for a. a large bang that may not have completely been uh, as effective as one would think it would be. Um, I think the issue is also, uh, you know, when you look at Iraq and, you know, possibly employing it in either Iraq or Syria, I would say that uh, those targets are far more difficult. There's a far greater risk of civilian casualties in those areas. There are exceptions to that. Uh, you know, if you catch them in the open desert, it's a different issue, but then you wouldn't need that kind of a bomb. The the other part Part of it is, quite frankly, geology. Uh, a lot of the caves that you're dealing with in Afghanistan are granite caves. They're old granite quarries uh, that were carved out, uh, you know, years ago. And ISIS is using those in order to do that. But in order to penetrate those, um, that's the kind of bomb that you would need. Uh, that type of formation doesn't exist in large parts of Iraq and Syria. So that kind of a weapon, you know, would uh, would be overkill in, in those areas.
2: Well, but, Colonel, I know we had said we were going to let you go now, but can you just stay with us a few more minutes? We have some calls, and I did want to touch upon North Korea. Could you just give us a few more minutes of your time?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: I, I really appreciate it, Colonel. Colonel Cedric Layton will stay with us. We'll take a break. We'll be back with you. If you're holding to call uh, to ask a question or make a comment, please do. 888 6 our number, and we'll talk more about this and touch upon North Korea when we return. Don't go away. To, uh, we go to, let me see, Paul in Washington. Sorry, on line three. Mark, you had sent so many things I couldn't find, find uh, the caller. Paul, question or comment for our guest, Colonel Cedric Lee?
4: Well, yeah, uh, the, I guess the crux of my call is this. Where the hell is Congress? And, and I was sparked to say this, Leslie, when you said uh, you were upset with President Obama about his red line in the sand when that story has not been c- properly uh, related he said he asked Congress for authority, and you know what the result was? Twenty-six out of hundred senators were willing to say, yes, let's do something. Thirty-two out of 435 members of the House said they were willing to do something. That's lame. That's pathetic. So this, what we have in the last eight days is we have a, <laughs> a joke of a strike with Tomahawk missiles Uh, blowing up uh, a few corrugated metal airplane hangars in the middle of the desert where they probably blew more things up building the damn airfield than that.
2: We are out of time. Ten seconds, Colonel Layton. We will definitely have you back. So much to talk about. Thank you, Colonel Cedric Layton, at Cedric Layton on Twitter, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N.
0: How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy.